You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Here, yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so exciting that we could work out a time to speak to you. We're, we are just thrilled to have you here today. Um, yeah, so for everyone listening, we have Lael Stone on the podcast. Now, I'm going to do a little introduction because I think a lot of our viewers actually know who you are. Um, but I wanted to do a little introduction of how I came to know you, Lael, which you don't know the story. <laughs> um, but when I had my second child, he from pretty much from birth um, screamed. He screamed and he screamed. <laughs> and after our first child, who was like the unicorn child, and me and my husband were like, we're good at this. <laughs> we should just have another one straight away. Um, to have a baby that didn't stop screaming was a, a new thing for us. Um, so then... I was introduced, well, after, uh, you know, I looked at him like, it's not a tongue tie, it's absolutely not colic and that's what I was told over and over again. Um, And I found Aware Parenting. I stumbled upon it and I basically was soothed by the sweet voice of Lael Stone and Marion Rose (laughs) from there on out. (laughs) And, yeah, I feel like... It was, it was a really beautiful lesson for us to have because it was the first introduction into emotional intelligence for us. And, um, and yeah, it really helped us as parents, not just with my son, but then with my daughter who we never let cry <laughs> and didn't realise until we came across, um, across your work. And, um, yeah, so... It's really exciting to have you on today. It's such an honour and um, we, between us, have eight children so we're very excited <laughs> to get some more pointers. <laughs> wow, eight children is a lot of children. I take my hat off to you. I'm very impressed. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> amazing that we could coordinate to actually get together to speak. I think that's probably the amazing part, isn't it? It's impressive, isn't it? Because you have three children yourself. Yeah, I do, but they're they're adults now. Or <laughs> one's fifteen, but the others are adults. So that that's that's I'm in a completely different phase now, which is beautiful. So I get to just do what I want most of the time, which is really <laughs> lovely. But when you've got younger kids and you know you're navigating life, it's really tricky. It's really really tricky. Yeah, for sure. Um, we'd love to hear just a little bit in your words about your work um, and about how it came to be that you kind of discovered this work and how important it is. Um, and you know, for a, a lot of us, we weren't modelled this type of um, parenting as children um, and we're kind of coming full circle. I think a lot of us are, you know, having children and then, you know, being faced with a lot of triggers, a lot of, um, you know, we want to do things differently. Um, so your work is particularly just big for a lot of people um, lately. So, yeah, we'd love to hear in your words. 
Um, oh, thank you. Well, I think it started, I mean, it started many, many years ago working in birth. So my background was as a childbirth educator and a doula and I was attending birth. So this is probably about 19, 18, 19 years ago. And I kept seeing trauma in birth, which we see a lot of. And, you know, so I started working a lot with families that had had really traumatic birth experiences. And I'd had two kids at that time by the time I started working in birth. And by the time I had my third baby and I had this whole idea of, you know, this birth experience I was going to have, she had a completely different idea. And I ended up in hospital with a really highly interventionist birth and a cesarean for an undiagnosed breech baby and, and just a whole journey unfolded. And she was born really, really unwell and wasn't expected to live. And I found myself, you know, as a person who'd worked in birth, attended hundreds of births and worked all with trauma all the time, I found myself in that exact situation thinking, whoa, what is, what is this about here for me? And it was one of the greatest gifts I think I have ever received, having to navigate that with my third baby. It was a really challenging experience and not one I'd wish upon anyone, but boy, did it open up a whole portal for me around really what trauma is and how to heal from trauma from my perspective as a mother but also as for a baby and so that's how I kind of came across Aletha Salter's work I, I read her book The Aware Baby when my daughter was just a month or two old and and realized gosh there is so much here in parenting that I'm missing and there was so much that I'd been doing with my older two kids about just shutting down their feelings and and uh, you know wanting to be a deeply attached parent you know so I was really attached and attuned to them but I just did not know what to do with big feelings and I don't think I had a deeper understanding really of how we hold trauma in our bodies as kids and all that kind of stuff so uh, I started working with those concepts that Aletha Salter's concept of aware parenting <clears throat> and began to see the incredible change and shift in my baby from the trauma that she'd experienced. And then that, I think, pushed me into really unpacking a whole lot of my own trauma. And, and I did spend a good year um, doing nothing but looking at my trauma and my story. And I couldn't work. I was really just functioning as a mum. That was kind of it. But I really saw the power of having to strip back everything to really do the work on all my own parts of the younger parts of me that held stories and all those belief systems and all that kind of stuff so that kind of combined with my birth work and then aware parenting I became an aware parenting instructor uh, and I really felt like I, I spent about 10 years just practicing on my kids <laughs> like I feel like they were like my test cases I think we all are <laughs> So I'd read stuff or do things and then I'd like watch it play out or I'd try a certain play thing or I'd, you know, hold space of feelings and I'd just watch and observe. It was really incredible actually to to witness it and watch it through a therapist lens but also as a parent and having to do my own work. Uh, and then as my kids got older, you know, my son moved into the teenage years and all of a sudden I started to go, oh, God, have I taught him enough about, you know, sex and sexuality and, and intimacy and relationships and, and I kind of stumbled across becoming a um, teaching sex ed to teenagers so that was a random thing but I then spent about five years uh, in secondary schools teaching pleasure-based sex education combining kind of my work with birth but really helping teens to navigate their bodies and also understand this whole complex thing around sex and sexuality and intimacy and all those kind of things so that was a pretty incredible job uh, to work with teens for a long time and then after that you know I was still working with families at the time 
time um, the opportunity came up to build my own school with a um, a wonderful client of mine who I'd been working with for years and and she was really disheartened with the schooling system and and really wanted to build or create something for her children that was really based on a lot of the philosophies that I'd been teaching her and working with her and and that was pretty huge because you know I'm I'm not a classic educator. I don't even really like school. Don't even really like education. You know, I have my own <laughs> and so here was this opportunity to actually build something that could make a difference. And um, it terif- absolutely terrified me because I was like, I-, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. And uh, but, but I don't know. One day I remember just having this real epiphany of like, well, it just takes one person to create change, and why not me? You know, why mm. why not me coming through this lens of trauma informed and emotional awareness? What what if I could create something new that really holds the whole child and allows children to thrive and be seen and all the things that we know are missing from our system, but also that we could implement and create something new. So that took about three years of my life building Woodline Primary. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. I can't mm. even I've heard nothing but school. the most incredible things about this school and I wish we were oh. all able to <laughs> attend it ta- yes chuck our kids yeah. on a little train yeah. and send them there every yeah, day to do long anyway yeah um look it's beautiful I mean we're in our third year now so you know we still have so much learning and growth to do but already what we see from what we've we're doing with the kids is absolutely extraordinary it blows me away actually it's way better than what I ever dreamed it could be which is a pretty beautiful place to sit in uh, so yeah, so that, so that I did that, and you know, I had the Aware Parenting podcast with Marion for for many years, which is as you talked about, you know, how you first heard about us, which was just such a blessing, and then that helped us um, then write a book. We kind of took everything we talked about there and and released our first book last year, and and these days, um, you know, I don't work as much one on one with parents, but I do a lot of public speaking around Australia, uh, talking about emotional awareness. I do a lot of talks in schools for educators now around a whole different way of education and I'm writing a second book at the moment as well and just waiting to see where it all unfolds and actually probably more than anything I'm doing quite a bit of consulting with others that want to build similar systems in schools and stuff like that so it's nice to be able to take everything that I've learnt and messed up with and go hey don't do this do that (laughs) see how you go here Um, and, and as I said my kids are pretty big now they're 23 nearly 20 and 15 so I'm not having to do that intense heavy load of mothering anymore I get to just hang out with some really cool um adults they're pretty awesome <laughs> having adult kids is the best yeah. so I love it. we're really a little cool. while off that aren't we our youngest is both one yeah <laughs> and our eldest about any of that <laughs> our eldest uh seven so <laughs> we're we're in it um I think that would lead us to our first question because one of the things that I really loved and appreciate about you Lael is how honest you are about your own mistakes and where you felt that you could have been better because um, I, I know that I can fall into habits where I turn around and look at myself in the aftermath of it and I'm like oh I'm just my mum <laughs> I'm, I'm doing the same shit <laughs> um, but what yeah so what I really appreciated was when you did talk about the things that you did that weren't perfect and um how you can rectify that and um I think that would lead us into um I think just you know like we are not perfect parents but we'd like to aim for perfect in a way (laughs) and many times we'll you know and I I think you're the same we'll I mean I've we've 
I've been with you many times <laughs> in moments and you've been with me in moments where we've both probably been like, oh, my God, that's not really what we'd want to be doing. Like, <laughs> you know, especially things like rewards. Like it's the it's my go-to. And I'm like, if you do this, then we can do this. It's like if you do that, I'll get this. Or, you know, there's so much. There's yelling. You know, my go-to is yelling because, you know, that's all I ever got as a child is, you know, yelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess something that, I always think of is, am I ruining my child? <laughs> Straight up. If I've yelled at my child for five consecutive days and I'm really district, you know, I'm unregulated, I can't get it together. I think, oh my God, it's in the first seven years. I've really done some damage here. Like, am I, am I going to be able to make this okay? Can I be better? Can I, yeah. can I go back? How do we repair those situations? Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. So I firstly just want to give you a big hug and go, it's really normal and um, go, we're all doing the best job we know how. And I think it's really important to remember when you're trying to parent in a way that's different to the way you were raised, it takes lots of practice, it takes lots of compassion and it takes lots of time to sometimes undo some of those patterns. So I know, and this is most parents, we, we come in with the best intention, which is I want to do it this way. And then when we are stretched, when we haven't had enough time to ourselves, when we haven't eaten, when our own wounds get triggered, we just default to what the, those places. And I know but nobody wants to do it. But the first piece always is, is real compassion for ourselves, is to remember I'm doing the best job I know how in these moments. And and I think, you know, you highlight a beautiful piece there. We will so often default to being our parents, which is what we don't want to do. And when we're looking at this, how do I repair it with my child? You know, for me, the absolute first place has got to be the compassion with yourself. So if we are have behaved in a way with our kids that we didn't like, right? I mean, the first thing I always go is, well, can we in a moment, that moment pause and just go, what's happening here for me? Right. So if you can in those moments pause and go, oh, God, I haven't eaten since eight o'clock or I really actually need a break. I'm at capacity or, you know, I'm just feeling depleted or gosh, that really reminds me of my younger brother. That's I'm really there's something here to work with. If we can start by just bringing some awareness to how we are, we then begin to start changing some of those stories and patterns. So we start to just identify, yep, I just lost it. That wasn't ideal, but what's happening for me in this moment? Okay, and what would compassion look like right now? Well, compassion would look like me actually maybe putting my hand on my heart, taking a deep breath and go, yeah, this feels a bit crap, but what can I do in this next moment moving forward? What compassion isn't is when we just go, God, I'm a terrible mum and God, I shouldn't have done that. And and we just start then beating ourselves up for, you know, not responding in the way that we wanted to. Because when we are looking at repair and when we're looking at how we um, help mould our kids, if we are sitting heavily in judgment of ourselves, that is what they're going to pick up. Mm. So if we can see it as an opportunity because there is no perfect and there is, it doesn't matter who you are, there's going to be a time where you're going to lose it at your kids. I have completely lost it at my kids over the years. It's in those moments where we actually start to change the patterning and conditioning from judgment and shame to compassion and growing. And so when we can in those first moments of actually just identify, yeah, I messed up, I'm going to choose compassion right now. I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to have a glass of water. I'm going to do something to actually bring myself back to my center. And then I'll look at what I need to do to repair with my kids. Already you have shifted a dynamic then. Already you've changed something. 
And then we come back to, okay, what do we need to do for our kiddos in those moments? So, you know, to keep it really simple, it always comes back to connection. Are we connected or are we not? And so if you are yelling at your kids, then odds are you're not connected, right? You're probably not connected to yourself and you're not connected to them. So what do we need to do to get connected? Well, perhaps firstly, I need to just go go and wash my hands in the bathroom and just cool down. Or maybe I need to go put my feet on the earth for a little bit, or maybe I need to feed myself. What do I need to do in that moment to bring myself back to my center so that I can be present? And then we go to our kids and we actually just say, I am really sorry for how I responded in that way. That was about me. That's all about mommy. And I am learning and I am really going to try and do better next time. And I I really want to repair with you. What would repair look like for you? Now, depending on the age of your kids, your seven-year-old might go, well, I just want to play with you for 15 minutes, play Lego. And you'd be like, okay, let's do that. Or, you know, the five-year-old just might want to cuddle. And the one-year-old will probably just look at you. One-year-olds are very forgiving. Um, (laughs) So, you know, they'll just boob. Just boob. boob. Thanks. Um, so I think the thing is the key piece about repair, and I think this is really important to understand about children is children naturally want to be connected to us. They're actually very naturally forgiving. If we are beating ourselves up, then that's the energy they're going to carry forward. If we can move into compassion and just go, Hey, I'm learning and I'm doing the best job I know how it creates more forgiveness for them as well in their being and their energy field to actually feel, Hey, I can lean into this. So I think it's really important to remember it is never too late to repair. Like I didn't come to this parenting till my oldest was eight. And so I'd done a lot of yelling and I've done a lot of shutting down, a lot of distracting from feelings. And when I first kind of leaned into this, I remember thinking, Oh my God, there's a whole lot here we have to undo. But I kept sitting in trust. I kept sitting in a place of, I am so willing for this to be healed. I am so willing for our, relationship to be healed or for whatever he needs to bring to the story I'm here and I'm listening and over the years he did in really different ways and you know now he's this beautiful 23 year old man who I just absolutely adore and we have the most beautiful relationship Mm. and I think so much of it came from just being willing to sit in the vulnerable stuff to own my story to say sorry and to trust his journey that he would bring the healing when he's ready and he did and I think that's a big piece of us as parents we just want to rush in and fix it and I'm so sorry is it okay are you okay do you still love me like are we going to be all right instead of actually just being able to okay honey if there's something here for you then odds are you'll bring it in the next little bit and I'm just going to meet it when it when it arrives yeah I think that really just the fixing thing I've heard you speak on it before and it's really easy to go there as a parent, especially of multiples. I feel like a lot of the parenting advice doesn't really factor in multiple children because um, just to paint a picture and I'd love some, you know, exploration here is, you know, I have four kids and my third child will constantly push over my baby or constantly walk up to my two eldest in the middle of their games and smash their thing to smithereens yeah she will say I hate you and I know that she's excluded and I know that she's feeling like but when she's done it 40 times before 7 a.m I'm like how would I you know like I'll try to get down to her level I you know try to figure it out but sometimes she'll just look at me like I'm a joke and I'm like well what do I do other than try to be like well, you, you know, what works, and I'll be honest, yeah. is like we'll go to the cafe, maybe we'll get like a hot chocolate or something. And she's like, ah, oh, cool. And then it might stop for 20 minutes and maybe she'll be even worse after the hot chocolate. And in those moments I'm like, 
what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. How old is she? She's three. She'll turn four in November. Sorry. And also I laugh because I feel like you're just describing Rue, my third. So it's not (laughs) same age. (laughs) Yeah. It's the same age thing, but I feel like it's happened since, you know, my baby was born. So I, you know, I can, I have it as in a level of awareness of what she might be going through as a three year, as a sibling, as a child who, you know, she doesn't connect with my two oldest as much because they're best mates. Um, and she doesn't really connect with my youngest because he's a baby. Um, and, you know, a lot of, I've spoken to a lot of other parents about this too where one of their kids has this, you know, recurring behaviour like hitting, constantly hitting and you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to not be triggered by that in those moments. Where do we go? Mm. Yeah, it's really big. Well, firstly, I just want to really honour and acknowledge that's really hard to hold, you know, when you've got four kids and you're trying to meet their needs and that's all happening, as you say, before 7 a.m. <laughs> there is no doubt that you are going to be like, ah, how do, I, how do I shut this down? How do I control this? And absolutely understand that every part of you is just like, I need to, to get a handle on this. And so there's two parts that I would look into this. The first is what is happening for you in those moments, which we'll lean into in a minute. But the second part is, okay, what is this beautiful little spirit in front of me telling me? Well, she's telling me that she's feeling pretty powerless because she's trying to, she's using force, she's hitting, she's punching, she's biting, she's destroying things. There's a hold of powerlessness sitting in her body. And so how do we help her feel powerful again? And so a few different ways we'd lean into that. One is, well, firstly, I'd be like, how much is she releasing or crying the stresses from her body? So it might be that you know she's not having the opportunity to to let out why did you have another baby like I was your baby and then you had another one or perhaps she's like I'm not included with the big kids now we're not expecting a three-year-old to voice this but we can presume as a three-year-old who's perhaps third in line there's going to be some feelings there which is really normal as part of you know the big journey of her life but also most three-year-olds feel powerless because you know they can't do the things that others can do and they're told what to do all day so it's very normal for me to see a three-year-old who has big feelings or is what we're seeing in the behavior is that kind of aggression and whenever there is aggression there's powerlessness and there's what's needing is for her to move some of this stuff through her body so if we come back to looking at children as actually beautiful you know unique gorgeous little humans that are actually enough perfect the way they are then we're not going to look at her through the lens of she's wrong and she's bad. We're going to look at her through the lens of, ah, she's just trying to tell me something here. And, you know, I often say to parents whenever I'm working with them around their kids, if you were her for a minute, like if you were just your beautiful three-year-old little one and you kind of tuned into her body for a second and then I asked you, what do you think's happening for her in those moments? What what do you get? What feeling do you get? Mm, I've done that before and I feel for her. I really feel for her. But then I also so feel thing. for me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. he's in a beautiful spot. No, 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 this is perfect, right? Mm. You're feeling for her because in that moment you're like, oh, okay, I actually sense what it feels like to be this little three-year-old in this dynamic and it feels really big, okay? And that's beautiful and that's really beautiful to be attuned to because that's going to allow you to meet her with more empathy and compassion. So that's really, really vital. The second piece that you said, which I think is equally as important, is I feel for myself here. And this is the piece I think that we can work with, which is what's happening for me in this moment right now? And so, you know, if we lean into you for a second and go, all right, well, what are the thoughts that go through your head when she 
she is coming in and destroying the other games and she's pushing the baby over. What's the narrative that goes through your head? What are you feeling in those moments? Mm, It's more like, well, I'll be honest. It's like, well, how can I make her happy? (laughs) Which is, can I force my two older kids to play with her? (laughs) And that doesn't work. No, so, of course it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And so, <clears throat> what I would say in this moment, and I we're kind of getting into a bit of therapy here, and I don't. I apologize. <laughs> yes. No, please, therapy us. We I need think therapy. We need you on speed dial. Actually, <laughs> if we could do that. Um, but what I what I want to kind of bring up here is that whenever there's something going on with a child, we've always got both elements. We've got what's happening for the child here, and we've also got what's happening for the parent. And I think we can't look at one without the other. And so, because you are the one that's going to be holding the space for this we have to lean into the stories that you've got going on in that moment which is how do I keep her happy do I try and convince the other kids to play with her and and perhaps the themes that are sitting underneath that are maybe some powerlessness for you maybe there's a really common theme of a story in your life about just keeping everyone happy all the time and then it will be all right like you know without digging deeper I have no doubt that there will be some story there for you mm-hmm. around something that's very familiar in your journey whether that's from your upbringing your family dynamic or even at how were you when you were three what was going on in your world in those moments and sometimes what's happening is that is being reflected back to you by your beautiful three-year-old because what she's doing is like hey mama I need you to move some of these pieces that you might be carrying so that you can be more spacious for me which means that you are able to meet her with more of a presence with more boundaries with more anchoredness that's like honey that's a no and she has a big rage and you can hold it for her or you're able to find some other times to deeply connect with her um, that actually meet her needs for some connection and attachment that actually means and she doesn't have to power over the others so you know there's there's I would probably have to ask you more questions Mm. to kind of get no I think you've done a really good job of touching on it and um and I'm doing all the talking here, but I just was going to take it to the discipline thing. I feel like there's a big um, confusion with discipline, with aware parenting, and it, a lot of people will be like, it looks like doing nothing versus yeah. what is because, you know. Holding we, those boundaries. Yeah, I feel like holding boundaries and discipline is obviously incredibly important and that's what children want. Um but it can feel tricky because what was modelled to us would be like, go to your room, stop crying, you should yeah. be seen and not heard. Um, yeah. You know, all the things that we've probably all heard and are familiar with. But for us it's like, well, am I really just going to get down to their level every time they've thrown a car at the sibling's head and they're crying? Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I totally do and I absolutely, I know that this is something that comes up for a lot of parents and so, I think to give it some context or to be able to look at, you know, when, and one of the things I say to parents all the time, all right, let's imagine that you're three, right? And you've walked into the room and you're full of big feelings already. You started the day that way and you see the two, your two brothers, you know, brother and sister playing happily and you, and it feels unfair for you and you go over and you knock that game over and then you see the baby and you've got feelings around the baby because, you know, you were the youngest and now you're not and you go into something there. Like in that beautiful moment of your three-year-old self, you are just, I am trying to move the feelings I've got going on here. Now let's just imagine we are that three-year-old feeling that frustration. I mean, really, we could be that three-year-old as an adult most of 
as our three-year-olds in adult bodies, actually. <laughs> That's the reality. Uh, so imagine we're feeling like that. And then the person that you want to please and the person that loves you the most and the person that you're most attached to for survival comes in and yells at you and screams at you and then takes something away from you. What is that feeling like in your beautiful three-year-old body? Well, we move into more feelings in that emotional backpack. We more we move into more stories of I'm not understood. People don't get me. I'm disconnected. When be- your beautiful three-year-old's just like, can someone please help me move these feelings that are staring in my body because I've got a lot going on? And it's not something we sit down and explain to her because at three, it's not a cognitive uh, explanation. It is how do we move the feelings that sit through her body? And we do that through crying, through raging. We can do it through laughing. We can do it through moving our bodies in certain ways. And so what I'm getting to is that if when we come down hard on children who are misbehaving or doing behavior that doesn't feel good, then often what we're doing is adding more stress and more trauma to their to their story. And so, you know, we I think this is really important to remember. We've grown up in a behaviorism paradigm, which means most of us are indoctrinated with this story that in order to get someone to do better, we must make them feel worse. So, you know, I'm going to punish you, take something away from you, and then you will do better. But I really beg to argue that because actually when we do something like that, what we're actually doing is we are creating more shame for that person. And it becomes not a story of I've done something wrong. It becomes I am wrong or not I've done something bad, but I am bad. And then that's when we have a whole deeper story that goes on around I'm not good enough, nobody understands me. And then that's where we carry that self-deprecating you know, feeling going on. So what do we do when our kids are acting up? Well, the first thing we really need to be aware of is always looking behind the behavior and going, why? What is the why here? What am I seeing from this beautiful little person in front of me as to what's happening in these moments? Well, if I can look at it through that lens of compassion, what I'm saying is here's a three-year-old who's pretty out of balance, right, who's got some big feelings they're needing to offload. Perhaps they need some one-on-one time. Perhaps they need a limit to push up against so they can have a big cry and move the stress and the stuff that's sitting in their bodies and their feelings. Um, You know, perhaps there's some more guidance or, you know, and perhaps I need to find my center more because perhaps I'm just not even present or connected and then they're kind of calling me back into my body. You know, that's a big thing that happens too is often kids can be acting out acting act, acting out and as parents we're like oh far out this feels too big and so we're not even there we're not even present so then the children are like are you hearing me like where are you i'm gonna get even louder now <laughs> so then they they do even more extreme things because they're calling you into can you see me here in these moments right so so what we'd be looking at here is if we move into punishment and discipline actually means to teach right it doesn't mean to punish but i think we grew up with this whole idea of I need to punish you, take something away from you to make you feel better. All we're often doing in that moment is creating more stress. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't set limits and boundaries. Like you absolutely come in and you you say, I'm not willing for you to hurt your brother and you grab whatever they've got and I'm going to be with you and you hold a bit of a container for them to move those feelings. Like children will often look for a boundary to push up against so they can move the feelings that are in their body so they do come back into balance. So then when we can meet that if we need to, if we can hold the feelings so that they come back into balance 
only when a child is back into balance, then we would have a conversation where we'd say something like, sweetheart, um, you know, did you want to play with your brother and sister and they're not playing with you? I can see that. Well, how can we find a way to do that moving forward? Or sweetheart, I know you don't really want to hurt your brother and push him over and it's not okay to use your body in that way. So let's find other things that we can push over and move all those feelings in our bodies in big ways. Let's put on some music and do some angry dancing. Let's go outside and break sticks. Let's go and push things over. Like, let's find a another expression for what the body needs to do so I think the thing is and I really do hear how challenging this is for parents when we don't feel supported in our home or when we're completely stretched what I'm asking you to do in saying that requires a level of connectedness and centeredness for us to do it but when we're exhausted and we're stretched and we haven't had enough sleep it's very very difficult to do so the default is to power over um So I just wanted to add an extra layer onto this because this is a situation that I think we have a few friends who have more than three children. So it would be a situation that we see a lot Um, and it often happens when you're trying to do the morning run (laughs) and you've got maybe a crying baby on your hot hip while you're packing lunches and then there's the the situation of the three-year-old or my five-year-old can also cause a little bit of havoc so if we're in that moment where it's like oh like we need to get in the car I'm already 20 minutes late like go 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 which is usually when they need to express those feelings when they need to be held and you're just like I haven't got time to hold you right now (laughs) Yes, I hear you. It's not easy. And I wish I could say just do one, two, three, magic, and then it'll be fine. It's not like that. And I, at, in those moments, sometimes we're just like, you know, there was times with that where my kids were there and I'd be like, well, I'm just going to do whatever works in this moment, which is, hey, do you want a lollipop? Right. Have a lollipop, right? It feels like that. that. Yeah. yeah, because we're like, hey, there's a bigger picture. We need to get somewhere. Look, if we didn't have to be places on time, then, you know, this would be a whole different scenario. We could slow down. We could pause. We could connect more. We could listen to those feelings. But there's times where we have to be and do stuff and then that feels really tricky. And so I, I really love to, uh, you know, just put it out that there's no perfect within this, right? We are all doing the best job we know how. Some days we're resourced enough to be present and hold it and some days we are not. And I, I think the thing is on the days we are not, then we just want to make sure that we come back and connect in again, you know, hours later or the next day, whatever, to say, hey, I know I gave you that yesterday because, you know, you had a lot of big feelings, but I'm here to connect with you now and how can we help these feelings come out? And a lot of the time I found with my kids it was about maintenance. It was about just trying to find moments in each day where I could connect with my kids one-on-one, where if I saw that there was a boundary that needed to be pushed up against, I would hold space for feelings with it. I'd say to my husband, you need to take care of the others because this one's got some big feelings and I'm just going to do that. It actually required me to slow down a whole lot more so I could be present. I mean, when I first really started listening to my kids' feelings, I remember thinking, this is like a full-time job, (laughs) just like meeting myself enough so that I can meet whatever's going on for them. And in the beginning, it kind of was because there was a big backlog of feelings there for them but after about six months or so of doing it and really just making sure that I was being as present as possible and it really was about my presence that changed it then what happened is 
there started to be less feelings and my kids were able to then walk in and go, I'm angry. Can you help me? Oh, mama, I really, I'm sad. I need a cuddle. They weren't acting it out in behavior. They were able to actually articulate how they were feeling. And that's when I started to go, oh my God, this is powerful because children will often act out what's going on because they don't yet have the words to express how they're feeling or they don't know how to, or it doesn't feel safe to. So they're going to use their behaviors to act out. But when we actually start modeling this beautiful emotional awareness, when we listen to their feelings, when we give words, then they're able to develop the ability to walk in and go, this is what I need. And that made parenting a whole lot easier because it wasn't so much about putting out these fires all the time, but it was about how do we do this maintenance so that we can meet their needs so that it can actually get easier. And I just, I I really want to flag for both of you, like having four kids under seven, like you guys are in the trenches. (laughs) Work, like please. Hear me. I have so much compassion for you because, like, you know, you just flat chat getting through the days. A lot of people, right? Especially if we don't have the supports that we need, it's full on. And when you want to do it differently, you know, that's also big. Like, you're parenting yourself as you're also you're parenting these little kiddos. And our partners. It's just. <laughs> really want to flag that this is really and it does get easier right and so sometimes you're just like I'm just getting through the day and what does that look like right? yeah. and if we have 10 minutes of play and laughter that's a win right and then yeah. if one one child through that week has a really big meltdown and I'm able to hold it that's amazing mm. right that is awesome so so please be gentle and compassionate with yourself you know there's I think you know, I always come back to this is in order to parent in this way, we have to look after our own needs. That has to be the priority because we cannot turn up and be present and connected and do all this kind of stuff if we're disconnected and depleted from ourselves. Mm. So, you know, the the massive changing point for me when I started doing this with my family is I had rubbish self-care and terrible boundaries. That all had to change because I was like, if I am going to be this anchor point for my family, then I've got to take care of my needs. And that became a non-negotiable that actually shifted a whole lot because I had a greater capacity to meet their feelings. I was more present and attuned to them. So I could often feel what was going on before it actually eventuated. So I could actually move in with some playfulness or connection or hold a limit before it needed to, you know, eventuate and someone throwing a shoe at someone's head. Like I was able to be more present with it um, because I was actually meeting my needs. And that was a huge game changer as well. Um, Lael, can we go into, because I know that we are short for time today, um, but I would really, really love to go into boundaries and limits. Um, I want to preface that as we live in an area where freedom is a big priority. Um, We're in the Northern Rivers and you see it in a lot of families, you know, um, unschooling is a huge thing and Often it's, yeah, it <laughs> trying to find the balance, I guess, between the, you know, coming down too hard or looking like you're coming down too hard. I mean, I've got two boys who are six and, no, nearly six and nearly four. They're very physical beings. And so when it comes to holding a limit, sometimes that means me actually physically removing them from a situation, which from the outside I could imagine looks pretty rough. Um, Yeah, so I guess there's like that end of the scale and then there's the, oh, don't like, you know, dropping all limits and boundaries so that your child has the freedom Um 
yeah, so if you could talk to that a little bit, that would be great. <laughs> well, I think to kind of simplify it, on one hand, you know, with boundaries, I think most of the, work, the way most of us were brought up was with this authoritarian bent and what we saw boundaries is, is yelling, this is what's happening and that's final, right? And we weren't allowed to push back, we weren't allowed to say anything and that I think is what we see as, yes, well done, you let them know who's boss, right? Mm. But, of course, that doesn't feel good for us because we feel powered over, we feel not listened to. Most of us are pushing back against that because we're like, how dare you speak to me that way, right? I find then that with my children. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Then we speak to the other side, which is permissive, which is really about, oh, no boundaries, no limit. I just want to keep you happy all the time, right? Now, children actually need to meet us somewhere in the middle. They actually do need boundaries because, again, if we look at a buildup of feelings in their body, which all children are going to have, they will often look for ways to discharge those feelings. Now, if they are, you know, remotely imbalanced, then they'll they'll discharge those feelings through play or running around or laughing or being silly, or they'll come and have a big cry and they'll, you know, de-stress their body so they come back into balance. But not all children know how to do that and sometimes that's not what's going on. So they look for places to push up against so they can have a limit so that they're able to offload those feelings. So um, Marion, my co-host from the Aware Parenting Podcast, used to say, and I love this expression, we can say no to the behaviour but yes to the feelings, which means that if, you know, one of your kids is going up and hitting somebody else with a car, right, we can actually go over and it's really important that we go over and we get down on their level and we'd be really just anchored and calm and say, I'm not willing for you to hurt someone. It's not okay. I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to move you somewhere else. Now that is, if we can do that from a place where we are calm, where our heart is open, we're saying no to something, but then we are allowed or we are welcoming whatever your child feels about that. Your child's then allowed to protest. I want to hit him with a car and that's not fair. He took my thing. And what we do is we again, look behind the behavior and understand that in that moment, what's happening is my child's got a massive backpack full of feelings and they're looking for an opportunity to offload that and here's the opportunity and what they need is our help to set an anchored limit now i often explain setting boundaries as to imagine yourself like a tree and you are deeply rooted in the earth so you are like an old oak tree you are anchored and grounded and your heart is open and your leaves can sway and bend so we have flexibility but we are clear and anchored and children will feel this if you come in too hot with a boundary yelling and screaming it means you're out of balance and you actually need to take some time to calm yourself to come back to your center right because in that moment when you set a boundary where you are yelling and screaming and hot what it becomes about for the child is the disconnection with you not so much what what's going on when we set a boundary that's really wishy-washy we change our mind i don't know just can you be nice please darling and we're pleading the child feels like well no one's actually got this here this feels a bit unsafe for me so they'll often push harder and harder until we get that limit whereas when we can come in with this anchored boundary where we are calm and anchored it says to the child i've got this this is not too big for me and I can see there's something else going on for you and I'm not willing for you to hurt someone um, and I'm here to guide you within that. And you can also tell me how you feel about it. And again, I really invite people to think about, imagine if you were the child, how would that feel for you? If an adult comes in and yells at scream at you, what's that going to feel like? If it's really permissive, what's that going to feel like? What would it be like when we were having a really hard time, when we had a whole lot of feelings brewing in our body and an adult came in, they were attuned to us, they set a limit, they were kind and loving as they did it, but they were firm. 
well, that would bring a safety that allows them whatever we've been sitting with to come pouring out, which helps me come back into balance. And that is not about powering over. That is about, hey, I am here to guide you, which is actually what all children need. It's really, really important because I find when there is not boundaries, then often what happens is these kids will keep pushing, pushing, pushing to find where the edges and the limit are. And they often become quite entitled and they become really kind of not so nice to be around either because, you know, it's all about their needs. It all becomes about what's going on in their world and then they're not able to tune in with others. And so limits are really, really, really important, but the way we set them is vital. Can I um, take a moment here to then also talk about um, allowing our young children to make big decisions because I find that that's something that I I grapple with a little bit. Um, for instance, when it comes to school, if they're – my kids go to a Steiner school up here and I, um, I've never allowed them to just take the day off unless they're unwell or unless – I think there's been like maybe I could count it on three fingers <laughs> but I do have friends who are like I just can't get my kid to go to school and I'm I wonder about um allowing our children to make these big decisions and um yeah how that would feed into the safety aspect and how they feel held by us if they're making more adult yeah. decisions yeah well, I think it depends, again, on the age of the child and who your child is. So my big question with that, if a child doesn't want to go to school, would be like, okay, so what's happening for the child? Is it that they're, they're, there's kids that are being mean to them at school that doesn't feel good? Is it that they're bored? Is it that there's a big story around separation and it feels really hard saying goodbye to mum and dad and, and that feels really big? Is it the child is actually using this as a way to kind of go to the parent, hey, can you set a limit for me? because, you know, I need to know where the edge sits and particularly if parents have got big stories for themselves around boundaries and limits, you know, and they felt massively overpowered, we can often swing too far in the other direction where we're like, oh, I don't want ever my child to feel controlled. I just want them to be able to do whatever they want and that's actually our own wounding there and so then our kids will actually push up against stuff that perhaps doesn't serve them. And, you know, school is not for everybody. I am I'm a big advocate of doing what feels right for your child Child. I am like I am so well aware of our system and how broken it is and and there are absolutely legitimate times where children are just like why on earth am I going you know there's no point to this what am I learning and I totally get that but I think again sometimes we have to look a bit deeper what are the what are the layers that are sitting there what are the stories around that so in a situation where you know your child you know, I, I think there can be times where we tune into our kids and go, you know what, actually they just want a day to hang with me and and that could be really beautiful. That could 100% fill up their cup and helps them feel really, you know, got their needs met and then they're, they're actually, we're feeling, they're really cruisy in the family and that feels good. That's absolutely a possibility. I think we always have to challenge what are the thoughts, what are the thoughts going on here? You know, so in that sense, is there a story for you that says, no, you must go to school every day because that's how you will be successful. I'm just throwing it out there, not saying that's what you're doing. Or maybe Maybe it's that, no, but I pay this money, you've got to go. Or no, it's like, oh, what will people think if you're not there? Or maybe it's just like, no way, man, I need you to go to school So because it's too stressful having to run at home. Like, you know. Can I interject? For me, it's more about um, overcoming something, like knowing you can do something even when you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. like, yeah, you don't want to or it's it, yeah. like you're feeling. Persevere. Yeah, perseverance. And okay. I, I was growing up, I was brought up like that. So. <laughs> 
beautiful. You can identify. You can be like, oh, that was a big theme in my family. You push through no matter what, right? You got to have some grit, right? Oh, I think um, I think it was more. It was more just like if you can overcome this as a challenge, you know, the next challenge that you that comes your way, you can actually yeah. do it. And that was more a yeah. So sorry, yeah, positive. You know it sounds like a, it's a positive yeah. thing. That is a beautiful lesson, and that is a beautiful piece. And sometimes that'll play out in school. Sometimes it'll play out joining the basketball team. Sometimes it'll play out, like that is going to play out no matter what in the, in children's lives. And again, I think it's really important that we take a moment to tune back into well, what is my story here around this? What do I want for my kids? Is there any wounding in me around this that I'm then pushing too hard or I'm too relaxed in one way? I think they're really beautiful things to be curious about. Well, what is the value here? Because again, I come back to children when they feel balanced, when they feel excited about something when they feel passionate they will jump in 110 percent want to do it no matter what right and so that's often a big you know problem in our schooling system because it doesn't meet the needs of those kids uh so i think it's it is a delicate dance of like well what's going on here for my child in our family unit what is my story within this i don't think there's any right or wrong within it i think it's about you know feeling into what what is going to serve them and what are my values around this as well yeah Mm. Um, I know we're about to wrap up here and I'd really just love to something that we didn't discuss before, but as a, as a family unit, um, you know, like we're really passionate about making it work with our partners where we've been potentially, you know, possibly, possibly modeled, um, you know, like a broken family structure and not really seeing mum and dad, um, do it, do it right together and support each other. So, I'd love to just hear ways or tools, maybe practical ways where mum can support dad or dad can support mum in holding this space and what a, what success might look like when dad gets home from work or mum gets home from work and the parents being at it like and is that a hundred and just instead of the dad being like, oh, how hard can it be? Like you just get to hang out with your kids all day. Talk us, talk to, talk to us about... <laughs> what that's what success could look like there and yeah so I think and it's such a beautiful question because I think it's one that comes up a lot and I think it is all about actually let's be a team let's not compete so you know in the early days my husband and I used to play the game who's doing it tougher which was (laughs) you know I'm at home with the kids all day. Yeah, well, I'm at work all day trying to earn the money. And I'm like, but you get to go to the toilet by yourself and you get to go for coffee. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm really good at this game. Clients and just like, oh, my God. And we just competed all the time. And then we competed about who would have more time off. And we clock like it was just it was not good because all we were doing is both coming from a place of I'm not getting my needs met and you're not getting your needs met and we are fighting each other here. And then, of course, our kids are like, oh, that doesn't feel good. And Mm. so then they were reflecting that back in their behaviour. It was just a shit show. So I think it was really important that we got to a place where we're like, actually, what would compassion look like? What would being a team look like here? And how do we all get our needs met? So when when we move from that whole kind of taking score of each other to actually taking care, then what actually happened is we began to go what do you need darling and what do you need and we actually lent into how could we support each other in the bigger picture now sometimes that was outsourcing and getting extra support sometimes it's ringing a friend going can you have my kids for a few hours because you know I'm at capacity Uh, and it was being able to sit down together and go well 
what does our week look like and what do you need? And I'm like, well, I need to have a few hours by myself. And he's like, I need to go play football. I need to do this. I need to do that. Awesome. Where can we factor this in and how can we gift it to each other generously? Because when we change the energy from competition into, I want you to feel good, then it actually came back tenfold. And actually we were more tender with each other and our kids kind of all went, ah, this feels better. Mm. <laughs> feel better parents getting that along beautiful here. Energy. And so I think the thing is it takes just one person in the relationship to call it right so that when we're in the competing and we're in that we just need one of us to go this doesn't feel good what would it look like if love was here what would it look like if compassion was here in this moment it would look like honey you are working so hard and I really get the pressure of what you're doing and um, you know I, I want to support you and it would also be the same now for me in the young years of having kids there was this underlying simmering resentment all the time because I would look at my husband and go you have no idea what it's like being at home with three kids all day <laughs> and breastfeeding and doing this and doing that. And, of course, he didn't know because that's his, it wasn't his job, right? And so I was just constantly looking for him to validate the job I was doing and seeing where I was at with it. And it never came, you know, because he was in his own world going, you don't know how hard it is trying to support the family. And so really what we had to do is actually get very real with each other and go, we are both working full-time here and we are both doing an epic, massive job and what do we need to make this family unit feel good? And so it became about boundaries, self-care, meeting each other's needs and, and it moved from that competing to actually I'd be like, babe, you look like you're feeling really stressed. What do you need? So that that it changed in the sense he would come home from work and the first thing he'd do is walk in, he'd see me, give me a hug and he'd go, what do you need? And I'd be like, I just need to get in the bath and he'd be like, awesome and so straight away we just move into you, the kids are yours you do this or I'd be like no nah, I'm pretty good I'm like do you need to do something he's like yeah right, maybe I'll go do this for 20 minutes okay cool so we just kind of started to to you know connect each other on a bit of a score of where we're we at where's capacity like if I'm at a 10 which means I've got nothing left I'd be like I'm a I'm a I'm a nine and he'd be like right cool I'll take over or and if he was a nine we'd both be like all right how do we how do we get through this we're next screwed <laughs> Yeah, but at least we will do it together, right? Mm. Like I'm hearing you, baby. I'm seeing you. It's looking through the eyes of tenderness mm. and compassion for our beautiful partners as opposed to competition. And I think especially when we're not meeting our own needs and we have a story around self-care and we have a story around boundaries, we are often going to look through a lens that is about it's not fair, you don't see me, not enough, all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of layers, I think, to explore within it that begin to shift and change the dynamic and I've been with my husband for like 25 years now it's such a long time I've been with him longer than I've been by part right (laughs) and we've been through all these years of raising kids and all the kind of stuff and we both even say now one of the biggest game changers was doing our own work but meeting each other with tenderness not as a competition but as partners and as a team and that shifted everything you know because then it didn't wasn't about who's getting more or less it was really about how do we work this is a beautiful whole oh amazing i think that's a beautiful you note. are a big warm hug <laughs> <laughs> and can we do this again another day yes please can we i feel more to talk about well i'll come back for part two we'll do another one that would be amazing <laughs> yes, this There's has so been much really to good unpack and i feel like we're at just at this time in where we just all are really desiring change and desiring to show up different to our kids and, you know, realising that it's actually the kids that are going to be the big difference in the world. And so, yeah, we really value this information and, 
yeah, really love and value you. Where can our listeners find you, Lael? Uh, so you can find me at laylstone.com.au. There's no other Lael Stones in the world at the moment, <laughs> according to Google. So that's pretty cool for me. So if you Google Lael Stone, um, you know, all my stuff turns up. My, you know, I've got courses on my website. You can buy our book online and, um, and you know, I'm on social media at Lael Stone. So all my bits and pieces are there as well. Excellent. And also I will link to the TED Talk that you did that's got like 1.5 million views on YouTube because that is phenomenal and I like I love that that's there. I can just check in with it when I feel yeah, like. It's a I'm, quick 15 minute recap. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, think I, I do have people often say, oh, I just go and check in and listen to certain bits and pieces because I think it is, it, it's like learning a new language. Parenting this way is like learning a new language and we have to practice it and we have to hear it again and again and again and again. Yeah. And I think those, that's why podcasts are so brilliant. You know, you can go back and listen to them and, and, you know, things like that are really beneficial to be able to just come back to what we want to do and what we want to be. And I think we have to hear it many times as we begin to change it because it's not how we were raised. And and it is, it's massive doing what you guys are doing of wanting to raise your kids consciously, you know, and you've got lots of little people at home and it's a huge task. And I absolutely take my hat off to you to, to being willing to go, yeah, let's do it differently because it's not easy. But I tell you, it is so worth it. You know, mm. the, these years that you're working through now where you're like, oh, my God, this is full on. Is this ever going to end? I remember the relentlessness of it of like, is this my life forever? <laughs> I won't even know. It's not going to be. It's going to change, right? But it is it is in those moments actually just keeping on coming back to how do I meet myself so that I can turn up for these people. And if you can keep coming back to that lens of doing it that way, you're going to do a beautiful job and you're going to be doing the work and and these incredible gorgeous kitties that are lucky enough to have you as their mamas are going to be extraordinary humans that the world needs. So mm. go on, you're doing it. Thank you. Thank you, Lael. You're an angel. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. We'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.